Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, great to have you here, and uh, thanks for coming, and uh, looking forward to uh, just uh, just a, a message that's been on my heart for the last few months. Uh, looking forward to sharing it with you. Um, tonight and believing that God is going to minister to us. You ready for that? Um, More important than any footy game is that God is here by his presence and uh, he is wanting to minister to you. He's wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to encourage you. We had a great morning this morning just seeing God minister to people and I believe tonight as well. So I trust that your heart is ready and uh, you're open to hearing what God has to say to you tonight. Um, there's a TV show that Megs and I enjoy watching everywhere, every year when it comes on, and it might be a surprising one to you, but it's Australian Ninja Warriors. <laughs> Does anyone enjoy watching Australian Ninja Warriors? Not as much as Megan. Not as much as Megan. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's about three of you. Now, clearly it's not a millennial show, uh, but, but uh, we enjoy watching it. We enjoy watching the athleticism uh, and the competition, and there are similar characters every year, and there's always a story to be told. There's always a backstory of someone's journey to getting to the point where they're standing on the platform, ready to go and uh, embark on their obstacle course, which in- involves a whole bunch of coordination, strength, flexibility, endurance. You've got to be strong. In many, lots of rock climbers are gifted at doing the course. And basically the premise of, of a, uh, the Ninja Warrior course is that the person who goes the furthest, fastest wins at the end of the day. And we, we enjoy sitting down and watching uh, Ninja Warrior. And it's, you always, when you're sitting watching, you always feel a bit stronger than, than what you really are. You're kind of like, oh, that looks so easy. How, like, come on, you can, you can make that jump. You can swing across. We got the image. Have you already seen the image? Uh, you know, come on. You can see them beginning to shake going. You kind of fall into that, that trap of thinking, oh, that's easy. I could do that. It's a little bit like the game tonight. I always love the joke with, with there's, there's uh, 26 players on a field who are in desperate need of a break being watched by 40,000 people who are in desperate need of exercise. And, uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a little bit like that with Ninja Warriors as well. We, we overestimate our strengths. And, um, and I certainly am like that. But a, a few months ago, council actually put a playground near us, they put in a Ninja Warrior course. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so we went down and uh, I, was, I was the dad with the kids and a whole bunch of the, and then the, co- the competitive nature kind of gets into you. You go, oh, I could do that. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I uh, <laughs> limbered up and uh, I managed to do the first one where you jump across the different platforms and then it, it required some hanging and moving and I couldn't do it. Uh, I was out. Eva, just, she just went out. Our second note, she just flew straight past me like a monkey and uh, I, I was embarrassing myself. And uh, you know how you do it then? You kind of like, just from, oh, nah, probably not feeling it because you don't want to look like an idiot in front of all the other dads. But clearly I was. Clearly I was not as strong as I thought I was. You know, I think that's true for all of us. You know, we like to think that we're strong. 
We like to think that, that we, can, we can sort things out, that we, we don't tire, we're not weak. But you know what? We all have our limits. Every one of us has our limits. We all get weak, we all get tired, we all get weary. You know, I reckon that, that we've been walking through that season. You know, as I've looked out as a pastor over the past six months, over the last 18 months, I've seen people in their eyes and their hearts just tire. People have been weary. I don't know, have you felt that? Have you felt at different times weary? You know, and then we get to the end of 2020, it's kind of like bon voyage to 2020. Come on, 2021, things are going to be different. <laughs> They're going to be so different in 2021 and, and we're going to get on with life and, and, uh, and yeah, how's that going? <laughs> Not so good. And I, 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 I remember last, you know, first term, just seeing people just trying to recover from the year that was and, and then we go into this term and I still see people weary and tired. See, we like to think that we're strong. We think that we can just push on through. Just keep your head down. Just keep going. But we tire. We get weary. We lose energy and we lose hope. There's something about a loss of hope. There's a, there's a hopelessness that affects our heart and our soul that causes us to feel tired. And I see that in this COVID world. And we, 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 get, we lose hope. There's a loss of hope. We get tired we become weary. We've lost vision. I reckon there's, there's something in that for us over this season as well is that we've actually lost a vision to look ahead. You know, with another lockdown, another outbreak, another cancellation, whatever it is, you know, for us and like many others, and I'm not complaining, but, you know, we had holidays planned for next week to New South Wales and they've been cancelled. And I'm not complaining. There are many others I know in this church who haven't seen their family for 18 months because of COVID. And so what ends up happening is I'm watching, we're doing this, where we, we, we lose our vision. You know, I'm watching people just stop looking out ahead. We're not thinking now, what's going to be next year? Or what about two years? Or what about five years? All of a sudden, we've begun to look down. We've lost our vision. We've lost our hope. And God's been speaking to me in this time, and there's been a passage in Isaiah that's come up on a number of occasions over the past couple of months, and it's grabbed my heart. And I believe it's a word, not just for me, but I think it's a word for our church. And it comes from Isaiah 40. It's, it's a well-known passage. It's a passage which I'm sure many, most, if not all of you have heard before. And, uh, and, it, and it came up for me a couple of months ago, again, when our senior pastor in a meeting shared this passage and he read it out and I can't remember what he said after he read it and how, how he shared, what the context of what he shared. All I remember is hearing that passage and going, oh, that's for me. It grabbed my heart. And then a few weeks later, Megan, when she was hosting in a morning service here, shared the same passage independently. She hadn't heard it. And again, I was like, oh, that's for me. And God has been speaking to me uh, in, the, in these words from the book of Isaiah. And then just this week, uh, as I sat down to begin writing this message, I sat down in a cafe and there was just a little, little sign on, on the table. And it had a verse from this passage on it. 
I thought, okay, well, maybe God is actually saying something. And then I opened up my computer to start writing my message, and I opened up Bible Gateway, and the verse of the day on Bible Gateway was this passage again. So I was going, okay, God, I get the drift. I know you're wanting to speak to me through this, and I actually think that God's wanting to speak to us as well. It's from Isaiah 40. And uh, it's verses 28 to 31. If you've got your your Bibles with you, then feel free to open up just four verses. The words are going to come up on the screen behind me as well. So Isaiah 40, you would know it. You've probably heard it before. Let me read it to you again. Do you not know? It's verse 28 onwards. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases power, the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The prophet Isaiah is writing to the people of Judah, people of Israel who have been taken into exile. You see, the prophets, and if you you read the different prophets, they're writing to different experiences, different moments in history. And you can see God speaking to them, and God is speaking to the people of Israel in a moment of brokenness. There's a a level of brokenness as they've been ripped away from their homeland. They've been ripped away from their context. They've been ripped away and they've been put into captivity in Babylon. This is a broken people. And God comes and he speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he speaks words of hope. Particularly from chapter 40 onwards, and you read through, you you begin to see these prophecies that speak of salvation. There is a coming Messiah. Israel, don't give up. There's hope. There's hope for you. There is a Messiah that has come. There's going to be a Savior that is going to set you free. It speaks of the hope ultimately in Jesus in fact, it's so Christocentric, to use a big word, that, that theologians often refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus, and Isaiah speaks. You know, there's so many prophetic overtones of the coming Messiah that they sometimes refer to it as the fifth gospel. God speaking hope to the people of Israel. And this passage is, uh, the first verse in this passage is really important. As God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, it lays the foundation for what is to come. Isaiah writes, we read in verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Why are you doubting? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. We see here right at the outset that, that Isaiah, as he writes, God is giving the people a foundation for everything that is to come. You've got to get a perspective, Israel. You've got to understand the God in which you serve. And there are four characteristics that we see here, which lays the foundation for the hope that is to come. Firstly, we see that God is eternal. God is the everlasting God. God is eternal past, eternal present, eternal future. There is something that we cannot understand about that. 
We might be able to understand present and our human past and our potential future. Try and figure out eternal past. I mean, God has been always eternally there. That blows our mind. Do you not know? Have you not heard? God is firstly eternal. Secondly, God is the creator of the ends of the earth. God has created you. And when the the people of Israel are reminded of this, when we are reminded of this, we need to understand two things. God, God, God has created us. We've been created on purpose for a purpose. You know, science may answer the question how we got here. doesn't answer the question why. Only God can answer that. There is, there is something about that God who has created us which is intimately and profoundly personal. We're created on purpose. God is the creator of the ends of the earth, infinite in power. We read that his understanding is unlimited he has a different perspective on the world. He understands things. His wisdom is limitless. And fourthly, God does not grow tired or weary. He does not grow tired or weary. And this is an important line in this first verse. We read in Isaiah that God does not run out of power, He doesn't need to rest. He's limitless in his energy source. Yes, we read in Genesis chapter, chapter 1 that, that, and chapter 2 that he rests on the Sabbath, but he rests on the seventh day after creating earth, not for his own sake, but he's creating a model for us because we do. We as humans, we do run out of power. We do run out of steam. We do get tired, but God is the everlasting God, and he As we read in Isaiah, he does not grow tired. He doesn't get weary. Therefore, if God is all of these things, he can be for us. God can give us his power because his power is limitless. This verse is really important, people, because it gives us a perspective It gives us a perspective on the character and the nature, the personality and the power of who God is. Ultimately, God doesn't run out of power. He does not grow tired or weary. And he therefore can give strength to those who get tired and weary. So we go on to read in verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. I heard news for you, it doesn't matter how old or young you are tonight, no, no matter how energetic you feel or how much sugar you have had today, you will grow tired and weary. I had two in- interesting conversations earlier this week. Two different people um, who had both run the Brisbane Marathon. Uh, The first person I was speaking to is in his 60s. He took up running in his 50s, and it was his second Brisbane Marathon. And I was speaking to him about it, and and he was saying, I I think I'm done. I don't think I can do this anymore. The marathons are so hard. I mean, I I finished, but there were times where I thought I wasn't going to finish. And I'm going, man, if I'm running, running marathons in my 60s, I will be cheering. That would be amazing. I'd love that. He finished in his 60s, he ran a marathon, but he got tired and weary, and I think he's done. 
The other conversation I had a day later was with another guy who ran the Brisbane Marathon, but he was in his 30s. And he'd trained hard and he had some clear time, times that he wanted to do. He wanted to run fast and, and everything was going to plan until two days before the Brisbane Marathon when he got gastro. And, uh, and so he still ran the marathon, uh, but he did say that at about the halfway point, he had nothing left to give. It's not a good sign when you hit the wall at the 21K mark knowing that you've still got another 21Ks to go. He said, Andrew, it was torture. He, said, he told me, he said, I, I didn't hit just one wall. I hit 15 walls. And, and, and he, he wasn't quite sure, but he got there. In the end, he got there. And he was telling me uh, that he wants to do the Gold Coast Marathon in a few weeks' time. I just think, mate, you are crazy. He burned out. He got tired. He got weary. See, here's the thing. We all get weary. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. We all get tired and weary. That's hard to accept. And I think on a superficial level, we go, yeah, of course, you know, calories in, calories out. We all get tired and weary for sure. But when we, when we consider, say, our work or the things that we find our identity in, we don't like to think that we're weak. We don't like to think that we get weary or tired. Oh, no, I'll be okay. I'll just push on through. We resist this whole idea of running out of power, running out of steam, of getting tired and weary. You know, we, we live in a culture that resists the aging process. We don't like to think that we get old, that we get weary, that we get tired. So we try and reverse it, right? We try and reverse it through fitness. You know, I've, I've recently turned 40 a couple of years ago and, you know, kind of you get to the kind of age, you go, that's it, you know, I'm going to keep running and, and keep fit or whatever it is. I know I only look 30, um, but you know, surprise some of you, I know. Some of us do it through fashion. We try and keep young through fashion. You know those people, right? You just think, man alive, you are way too old to be wearing that. I'm sure we all know people like that. Maybe you're looking at me and thinking that. And, and, and we try and keep young through, you know, through surgery. You know, the cosmetic surgery, a huge business. Let me just give you some statistics. The global cosmetic industry is growing faster today than ever before with an estimated market value of almost $805 billion by 2023. The global cosmetic surgery and procedure market size is expected to reach 43.9 billion US dollars by 2025. Let's bring it a little bit more local. Australians underwent 30,000 liposuction procedures in 2017. The nation has forked out more than $1 billion a year for cosmetic procedures. You know, we spend a lot of money as a nation and as a particularly Western world trying to keep young. But I'd like to give you one more statistic, people. This is the ultimate statistic. One out of every one person will die Oh, it's high, isn't it? It is high. I mean, that is statistically significant. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate to be, you know, kind of down, you know, be a bit of a downer on you, but we all get old. Uh, and, and more than that, we all die. Uh, you can't fight that process unless we find something with cryogenics in the next little while. That statistic will remain. Tired time tires us. We all get old. Everything gets wrinkly over time. 
Everything begins to sag a little. It's just the way it is. We don't like it, though. We try and resist it. We try and push against it. We try and keep pushing through. Oh, I can do it. I'm strong enough. I'm okay. I'll get through. Yeah, it's hard at the moment, but, but I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah, things, things at work are challenging or, or, you know, I'm really struggling in this area of my life, but, but it's okay. I'll just push on through. We think that we are invincible until we're not, until we break down. We all grow weary and tired. You know, there's something here about the people of Israel. I think there's something for us here too. See, weariness comes with a lack of hope and a lack of vision. Just imagine the people of Israel for a moment. Everything has been ripped away from them. Their identity, their nation, their place of worship. And they are overwhelmed by this huge power. They can't see the future. You know, in, in their circumstances, they are a picture of brokenness with no hope. And it's that lack of hope, that lack of vision, that lack of sense of, of anything ahead of them that crushes their soul. You get this picture as we read uh, in, in, in Psalm 137, you get these, this picture of how they're, where they're at. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. It's a picture of despair, of brokenness. There is no vision. I reckon we've felt like that before. I reckon you've felt like that before. Yeah, when, when you can't see the end, when you're stuck in the middle. We find ourselves in the middle and we can't see a way out and it crushes our spirit, crushes our soul, brings us weariness and pain and we become fatigued. Not knowing an end point is literally torture. And the hardest part about walking in the middle is that there is no sense of control. And here in the midst of this brokenness with the people of Israel, I think for us as well, that God is saying, I want to give you my perspective. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He does not grow tired or weary. And, I, and he has the power to give you strength and energy and hope and life. There is a future. He wants to give you. He wants to give us a vision. Take your eyes, Israel. People here tonight, let's take our eyes off our circumstances on ourselves and let's lift our eyes and get a new perspective. See, when we lift our eyes to God, we begin to see life through a new lens. And God invites us to see in a new way, to see with a new vision, to see life in a new context. We are called to lift our eyes. See, Perspective changes everything. You know this, right? When we have a different perspective, it changes our posture. It changes our hope. It changes the way we live. When we can see in a new way, when we have a new perspective, it changes how we see things. Let me give you a, a fun example because it's state of origin tonight. You know, when I was younger, 
I used to take state of origin incredibly seriously. Like when I was a teenager particularly, I don't know if anyone else was like this, but man, I used to get nervous like the day before state of origin. And I'd, I'd, be, and I'd be building up and then it would be a serious event as I was watching and I'd be passionate, I'd be punching things, not other people, but the floor or whatever. I was just in it. I was living the moment. It was a huge thing for me. And then, and then I moved away to the UK for, for a season and, and I missed all of those, most, well, most of those um, series where Queensland just won all the time. You know, kind of they had Billy Slater and Darren Locke here and Jonathan Thurston and Greg Inglis and you know, there's a win after win after, I missed all of that, I was living in the UK. And so um, I've come back and, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun. I don't take it as serious as I used to. I'm a bit more chill. Don't worry about tonight. It's, it's all good. You won't be laughing at me. But here's the thing is I've decided just recently to go back and watch some of those series. And, uh, and I've got to tell you, uh, I'm not stressed. When, when I watch a series from one of those ones that we've won, I, I, I'm not worried. See, I've got a different perspective now. I know they won. And so I sit and I watch and enjoy and I chill. In fact, last week I actually had a, a, a bout of gastro and, uh, and I was struggling to sleep one night because, you know, I wasn't doing real good. And so just to relax and to chill, I decided to watch a State of Origin match from 10 years ago. I mean, that is how my perspective has changed. See, our perspective changes our posture. No longer am I all pent up and worried about the result. I already know the result. I'm just chilled, enjoying watching Queensland destroy New South Wales. It's wonderful. See, our perspective changes our posture. And when we get a perspective, God's perspective, when we're lifted high, it changes the way in which we live our life. Isaiah writes, God speaks. and He says, I want you to look to me. See, if you get my perspective, it will change your hope, it will change your faith, and it will change your resilience. It will change your life. See, we need to get the right perspective. We need to look through a different lens, and we need to see things in a new way. We need to find God's perspective. And when we get his perspective, we find his power. But to get there, to get this new lens, to get this new perspective, we need to see things in an utterly new way way. Everything needs to be flipped on its head. Everything. It, what, what, what follows now, what we read now flips everything on the head for the people of Israel and it flips everything on the head for us too. See, because the new vision, the way we get perspective is two things. And I'm going to kind of, kind of finish in these two things. Firstly, we need to embrace the waiting. And secondly, we need to accept our weaknesses. If you want to live with a new perspective, if you want to get the, the power and the strength from God, you need to embrace the waiting and you need to accept the weaknesses. Verse 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. See, firstly, waiting leads to renewing. Waiting leads to renewing. Verse 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Now that word hope can be changed for the word wait. In fact, the ESV translation, it says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
And this word here, wait or hope or rest, it can also be understood, means to stretch, to hold in tension. That is what that Hebrew word means. And so the word hope and the word wait can be used interchangeably. In fact, in Lamentations chapter 3, just the, the passage after what Megan read to us earlier says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. There's that word wait. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope, same word, is in him. The one, to, to the one who seeks him, it is good to, again, same word, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, we're invited to wait. Those who wait on the Lord will be renewed. But waiting is hard, isn't it? Who likes to wait? No, no, we don't like to wait. We hate waiting. We live in an age and a time that is addicted to speed. We need to move. We need to move quickly. We're addicted to this, to this sense of getting things done. We're, we're addicted to, to, to achievement and to moving fast. And when we're forced to slow down, when we're forced to wait, well, then it rips us of control, doesn't it? That's the sense that we get. If we're forced, if someone imposes something on us, which means that we can't act, it's like we are losing control. And we act in irrational ways, like we are addicted. And even the other night, I was told if Megan and I were going out for a date night. We were not in a hurry at all, but I got caught behind a slow car. And so in my frustration, I ducked into the left-hand lane and cut them off so I could turn left. And Megan berated me, told me off. No, you did. You, you did tell me off. Um, I'm still hurt from it. <laughs> she did. She needed to tell me because I was impatient. I was impatient. And this is the kind of world that we live in now. We, we've all kind of found that time where, where we've blown up because, or, or, or things have happened because we just get frustrated. Why? Because we feel like we've lost control. And we like to be in control. Waiting is a relinquishing of control. But it's what we need to do. If we are to be renewed, we must wait. Waiting is a spiritual discipline. Waiting is something we need to learn how to do. Waiting is something that we need to impose on ourselves if we want to be refreshed, if we want to be renewed, if we want to be filled with strength. It's absolutely countercultural. None of us want to sit. None of us want to stop. It's a discipline that we need to cultivate in our lives. It's something that we've got to build into our hearts. See, waiting submits ourselves to God. The choice to wait is to say, God, I'm choosing not to be in control because in reality, I'm not anyway. All I'm doing is that I'm acknowledging that I'm not in control. I'm choosing to wait. I'm disciplining myself to wait. As John Ortberg says, we need to cultivate patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. And here's the thing. When we can learn how to wait, we will liberate ourselves. The choice to wait, to quiet the heart, is the way to reminding ourselves of a deeper hope. 
See, the unhurried person is the person who carries a deeper hope. Catch this. If you have lost patience, it's because you've lost hope. If you are impatient, it's because you don't carry a deeper hope in your life. We don't wait if we don't hope. Waiting is hoping. See, if we've got a hope in in our hearts, we'll wait. If there is something in us that we're looking ahead, we we will do the waiting. You know, it might be that birthday. It might be that holiday. It might be that promotion. It might be that person. Whatever it is, that hope sits inside us and we are willing to wait because there is a hope that sits deep in our heart. You know, I've shared the story before about, about uh, Megan when, when we got engaged and for various circumstances we had to extend our engagement five months. We couldn't get married for an extra five months. Now at the time, it was painful. You know, it doesn't sound like much now, but when you're, when you're ready to get married, it's kind of like, man, five months. Now do you think my response was, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can do this. I think we're going to have to call it because I just can't wait another five months. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Megan, we just can't do this. Do you think? Do you think I? No, because of the hope in my heart, I was willing to wait that five months, but no more. I mean, no. I mean, <laughs> sweetheart, I would, I'd still wait to this day. Yeah. See, when there's hope in our hearts, we will wait. There's hope in our heart. We will wait. And Paul shapes this. He explains this about the practice of waiting that gives rise to a deeper hope. In fact, the longer we have to wait, the greater the hope. There's a great circle to it. In Romans chapter 5, we read from verse 3, Paul writes, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, if we don't create space in the perseverance, in the waiting, then we are not creating space for God to pour out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are not creating space for character to grow in our hearts in order that hope will fully mature. See, waiting is a process that renews us where we receive his Holy Spirit. We live in a shallow world that is filled with instant gratification. And as long as we live on the surface, always fulfilling our immediate desires, without going deep and waiting, we will always be shallow people. Never truly renewed. Never truly going into that deep charge. We'll always be just plugging in, plugging out, plugging in, plugging out. God wants to renew us. What's your deepest hope? If it's happiness, then hardship will wreak havoc in your life. But if it's Jesus... If your deepest hope is Jesus, then hardship will make sense, give meaning, and grow you in character. Learn to wait, and you will be renewed. I love what Ray Ortland Jr. says. He says, are you willing to wait? Are you willing to let God set the pace? 
Or are you such a controller that you can't live on God's terms? Is the prospect of having the glory of the Lord as your eternal delight out beyond the barbed wire? Does your heart prize him as worth the wait? If so, your heart will endless, be endlessly renewed until that great day. When we learn to wait, we will be renewed. Waiting leads to renewing, firstly, and secondly, weakness. Accepting weakness leads to rising. Weakness leads to rising. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. See, the way to the wings of eagles is the way of the weak. How do, how do we get there? We'll see waiting and hoping in the Lord. When we choose to wait and hope in the Lord, we are actually accepting weakness. When we actually place our hope in something other than ourselves, we're saying that we do not have the power to get ourselves out. We're accepting the fact that actually we are insufficient. We actually don't have the power. We acknowledge that we are weak. That's hard, again, because we like to think that we can do it. We don't like to think that we are weak. To acknowledge vulnerability, to acknowledge weakness in our world is well, it's just not the done thing. We like to say and present, we're strong, I'll be okay, no thanks, I'm fine, thank you very much, I'll get through. That's the posture that we like to present. Accepting weakness is hard. Reliance on somebody else, well, that's confronting. The religious spirit says, I can do it. I'm okay. But at some point or another, we come to a moment of decision. There's a, a moment of desperation where we have to make a choice. Am I going to choose to humble myself and ask for help, or am I going to reject help and keep battling on my own to my own destruction? Every one of us has that decision. We will all have those moments in our life where we have the choice, am I going to humble myself and ask for help, or am I just going to charge on through to my own destruction? And many people make most, either decision. We all come to that place of desperation, I don't know if you've ever come to a place of desperation where you've had to decide, are you going to ask for help? I, I've had many of those moments in my life. Uh, there was a moment a, a few years ago, actually just before we planted the church, we decided to go on a, a family holiday to see Megan's folks in the States. And I remember a moment of desperation. You know, we'd packed all the bags and we were all ready to go. And, uh, and we got to the airport early at Brisbane Domestic. We were flying through Sydney on our way to Dallas uh, and then on to Florida. It's a huge flight with four young kids. I mean, that whole flight was just the one from Sydney to Dallas. That was, that was a moment of desperation. That was 13 hours of desperation uh, or more. Was it even more? 17 hours? Maybe something like that. Anyway, it felt like three years. Um, but I remember before even getting on the plane, we arrived nice and early at Brisbane Domestic Airport and we, we go to check in and, and I hand my passport over to the lady and she goes, oh, have you got your electronic visa? And all of a sudden, the, the blood drained. I'd completely forgotten to apply for my visa. She said, sir, 
You cannot get on this flight. I will not let you on this flight unless you have a visa. Now, you've got to apply for these visas 48 hours ahead because that's how long it takes. I was panicking. I, there was a moment of desperation and I wasn't looking at Megan because I knew I was a dead man. And so I just tried to figure out whatever way I could just to fix it. And so I'm on my phone, I'm making phone calls. I'm on my iPad trying to figure it. I was, t- I was handing over hundreds of dollars online to try and get an Esther in 15 minutes so we could get through. It was a moment of desperation and panic. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get this visa I knew that I wasn't getting on that flight to America. Our holidays were ruined forever. And then in a moment of desperation, I went back to the lady and I said, with the time ticking, I said, excuse me, ma'am, is there anything I can do? I'm desperate. She goes, oh, yeah, sure, I, I can help you out. There's this is website and you can do it really quickly and I can get it to you, get it to you in 10 minutes. I said, oh, why didn't you tell me half an hour ago? And so we managed to get on the flight. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Sorry. I know your heart rate's gone up there. <laughs> All I needed to do was ask for help. But, you know, we don't, we don't ask for help. We don't ask for help. In moments of desperation, we have a choice. Are we going to accept our weakness and receive strength? Or are we just going to keep going? Every one of us has that choice. And here's the wonderful thing. Accepting weakness is the way to strength. If you can get this, people, this will change your life. If you can come to a point of acknowledging that you are a broken person, if you can come to a place of acknowledging that you are weak, if you can come to a place of going before others, there are things in my life that that I'm just not good at. There are things that I am broken in. It is the most liberating, freeing place that you can come to. Because you've got no, nowhere to go. There's no further down that you can go. There's nothing that people can say about you that can destroy you. You are a free, liberated person. When you come in weakness, you are strong. I've been sitting on this verse we find in Peter and James. We also read in the Old Testament as well. God, give, God opposes the proud. Who, who, I mean, life's hard enough without God opposing you, right? Like, who, who needs God opposing you? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, when we truly get this, when we humble ourselves before God and man, we've got nowhere else to go. We're, we are in a strong position. And the Apostle Paul, he understood this. Now, Paul was a gun. He was, he was a, an incredible mind, studied under Gamaliel, one of the, one of the great minds, one of the great Pharisees. He was, he was a young man who was born for religious stardom, and then God grabbed him. Had a profound encounter with Jesus. His life was changed forever. But his journey was one, no matter his capacity and the things that he had, it was still a journey towards humility and humbling. And when he gets it, he shares it. There's a, there's a passage in, in 2 Corinthians where, where Paul is grappling with a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn is. 
It could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be spiritual. We just don't know. But he writes to the Corinthians and he shares with them his journey. Again, a person who understands his brokenness and weaknesses. He's he's a guy who says, there is no greater sinner than I. He writes this. He says, uh, as he relays a conversation, a prayer that he has with God, he says, but he said to me, this is God, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my strengths. No, 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 no. He's not boasting about his strengths. I'll boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Can you imagine that just being the pin-up slogan for Christianity in our world today? Hey, consumer culture, secular world, join Christianity and you can have weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions and difficulties. Get on board. It's going to fulfill you. It's going to be awesome. But this is the way to strength. This is the way to freedom. This is the way to life. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. People, when we are weak, when we are humble, when we confront up to God, to ourselves, to one another, when we can look at ourselves with reality and acknowledge we're all broken, we're all weak. When we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, I am a broken person. When we, when we can see reality, when we, that is the step. Can I just say, acknowledging weakness truly is, is the most spiritually mature thing you can, plate point you can get to. It's the most personally mature place you can get to. You, it's from there that you grow. It's from there that you become strong, not in your own strength, but in the strength of God. And so Isaiah lands and gives this picture of an eagle soaring. Don't know if you've ever seen a wedge-tailed eagle out back. I've seen it on a number of occasions, just this massive raptor, this bird that's just, that flies on the thermals. If you've ever seen them, they look effortless. These massive birds just go up and up and up in an effortless way, just gliding. Just high up, being able to see down, getting a profound perspective on life. You know, I'd love to be able to do that, to be able to rise up and soar on the wings of eagles, to be able to see what eagles see. You know, physically, that would be amazing. I always love going up in planes and being able to see higher. But in life as well, be able to get up above the mess and the brokenness of life and the, and the and things that surround us and begin to see out afresh and anew. See, Isaiah says to the people of Israel, even though they have collapsed inwards and, and they're broken and unsure what's going on, they're feeling weak, broken and tired. The promise here is that if you place your hope in God, if you wait on God, then you will soar on the wings of eagles. You will get a vision. It's a new perspective. So I've been sitting in this passage. I believe that God has been speaking to me. I think he's been speaking to our, our church, to us. He's speaking to you. I think God wants to give you a new vision. In the midst of lockdown, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of all the things that you might be going through, God wants to give you a new vision. God wants to lift your eyes again. He wants you to see out. 
Get a vision for your life. Get a vision for your future. Get a vision for your ministry. Get a vision for this city. God wants to give you a vision. He wants to lift you. He, he wants you to soar on wings like eagles. He wants to give you a new perspective, and it comes when you acknowledge that He is great. When you acknowledge that He's the one who gives you strength. When you acknowledge, when we acknowledge that we are weak, but in Him we are strong. That is the promise for us tonight. Do you want to soar on wings like eagles? Do you want to get a new perspective? Do you want to have a new energy, a new strength, a new power? God wants to give it to you tonight. Are you weary? Are you weak? Are you tired? God invites you in. I reckon that, that, uh, that tonight God just wants to bring that freedom and that life. And... Uh, we're going to do that together. I'll just, I'll, I'll invite you just right now. Why don't we just stand in this place? And one of the, one of the joys of, of, of being together in community, being together as a church, is that we get to bless one another, that we get to pray for one another, we get to encourage one another. And so here's what I'd love us to do, and we do this regularly. We just invite people to come down and... Um, I know that's a really confronting thing to do, to actually step out from your seat and to take the steps down to the front in front of others, particularly for introverts. I was speaking to a bunch of people that I prayed for after the service this morning. It's like, I'm an introvert. But hey, we're a family. You don't need to worry about whether you're an introvert or extrovert. You You just get to be blessed. And others get to be blessed by blessing you. I want to invite you, if you are... Here tonight, you're weary or you're tired. Maybe this season has taken its toll. Maybe mentally you're just exhausted. Maybe, maybe you've lost a vision. In the midst of whatever's going on in your life and your world, whether you're studying or working, you've lost a vision for your life. Perhaps you're feeling discouraged tonight. Maybe you're feeling a little bit lost tonight in the, just in the mess of life. God wants to encourage you. And I'd love to invite you just to come down the front. And we're going to invite, we may all end up down the front here. That's totally fine. But we just we want to create a space. We've got time now just to bless one another, to pray for one another, to speak words of life. So if, you, if, if anything tonight has resonated with you, and you'd say, yeah, I, I would love to receive prayer. I would love to receive new life, new energy, new focus, new vision, new purpose. I'd love for you just to come down the front right now. Just come on, step out from where you are. Come down and I'd love to pray for you. Have courage. Come on. I reckon there's a number of you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click Get Connected to let us know.